Welcome to the 2019 Good News Church Global Outreach Conference. The following is Session 1, recorded on Friday morning, March 29, 2019, with Leonardo DiCherico, entitled, Communicating the Gospel with Roman Catholics. Let's now join the session. Please welcome Leonardo. Well, it's a great joy to be with you all, and I thank God for this opportunity. When I came here uh, three years ago, uh, there was nothing around here apart from mud and uh, waters and uh, construction work going on, and it's good to be here, good to be back, and to be to see this wonderful place that you dedicated to the praise of our God and the advancement of the gospel, not only in St. Augustine in Florida, but throughout the world. And uh, it is a great privilege to be part of this ongoing work of the gospel uh, that you support, that you pray for, and you are part of. And uh, I don't know what is going to happen next time I come, if I will come. If you are going to expand this place or build another thing, I don't know. But uh, uh, to God alone be the glory for everything he does uh, in his goodness. Um, this morning's uh, presentation has to do with uh, uh, how to engage our Catholic friends in uh, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, I've been uh, doing this for maybe 40 years uh, in my life, having been born in a majority Catholic context like Italy, and uh, living, having been um, living in Rome for now 10 years, being my con the context in which I serve uh, the Lord. And uh, so on a daily basis, I am uh, challenged by uh, finding ways and opportunities to share the good news of Jesus uh, to my Catholic friends. And I hope that what I'm going to share will also help you to do the same uh, with your friends and uh, your maybe family members or people you are related to. And first of all, can you uh, move? I want to uh, introduce this topic by giving you a personal testimony because I was not born in a Protestant evangelical family. I was born in a Catholic family and I went through in my boyhood through the different stages of uh, Catholic catechism. But one day in our family, we uh, received a visit of a missionary couple coming from Switzerland. And they could hardly speak uh, Italian, but they were able to ask uh, my father, I remember I was a seven-year uh, boy, I remember that, that conversation on the doorstep, and my father allowed them in and welcomed them to our home, and they started asking the question, are you Christian? And uh, my father said, of course, I am a Christian, I am Italian. And they said, no, 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 I asked, uh, the, 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 the question was something different. Are you Christian? I'm not asking you if you are Italian. Yes, I am Italian, I'm a Christian. I'm, the two things go together. So in many uh, places uh, where Catholicism has been majority, the um, identity of the, the connection between being Christian and being belonging to a national community, a cultural community, 
can be a very strong identity marker that uh, makes people think that because they are born into an Italian or Spanish or Portuguese or Latin American or whatever kind of context, they are, by definition, Christian. The second question uh, that they asked was, have you ever read the Bible? And uh, that was another interesting question for my father. My father uh, thought he was a good Christian, but uh, he turned to my mother and asked her, uh, darling, do, do, do we have a Bible in our home? And she said, I don't think we have a Bible. Um, oh, that's, that's quite uh, funny because if we claim we are Christians and we don't have a Bible and we don't read the Bible, how can we claim to be Christians? You know, there were these questions that began to stir the water, so to speak, and to uh, began to raise issues about our own identity. To cut the story short, after six months, we began studying the scriptures uh, around the, the dining table with these two Swiss missionaries, and uh, for the first time, we were introduced to the, the, the gospel story, the gospel message, uh, and the message of the Bible. And uh, it has been my experience in my uh, relationship with uh, my Catholic education that uh, the exposure to the Bible has been very minimal. Uh, the exposure, exposure to religious teaching was largely based on uh, traditions and practices and uh, spiritual devotions, but with a lack of biblical content and a lack of biblical exposure, exposure to the Bible. So these are the two aspects that often we, uh, we find when we approach our Catholic friends. At times, we, their Christian identity is uh, so intertwined with their cultural sense of belonging, cultural identity, that the two are not always easy to disconnect. And so when we approach our friends, we have to make sure that we uh, are aware of this combination. And uh, at times, when I, when I became a Christian in my boyhood, and, and the, the impression I, I, I received was that if I, am, if I was going to become a believer, I needed to deny my cultural identity. And uh, nobody wants to deny who we are. But the problem is that as we embrace the gospel, we not necessarily deny our identity. We just change the identity or add another dimension to it. And uh, the second thing was that as we um, were encouraged to read the Bible, that was key in order for us to understand that what was at stake was not a change of religion, changing from being A in order to become a B religion or religious type. It was about embracing the gospel and becoming a believer in Christ. It was not changing a hat from being religious to wearing another hat of a different religion but it was about having a personal relationship with Christ uh, conveyed through 
the biblical message of salvation and resulting in a conversion experience uh, going on into a fully developed Christian life. So, can we move the, the presentation forward? When we approach our uh, Catholic friends, we have to make sure we are aware of few pitfalls that could uh, arise in our uh, conversation. Uh, the first pitfall is to uh, rely too much on common language. You know, the words that we use are almost the same. The vocabulary of the Christian faith is very similar. We talk about God, the triune God, the Father, the Son, the Spirit. We talk about the cross, we talk about the death of Jesus, we talk about the grace of God manifested in Christ, and we talk about the need of, uh, for faith to be exercised, we, not, we talk about the need of, to move on in the Christian life, we talk about prayer, we talk about the church, we talk about the saints, we talk about the future, we talk about salvation. These are common words, and the common vocabulary is what characterizes both the Catholic Church and uh, the Evangelical Protestant Church. Now, if we rely too much on these commonalities, assuming that as we speak the same words, we are actually meaning the same things, we're actually going into troubles, because sooner or later, sooner than later, we will realize that although we use the same words, we're not meaning the same thing. And uh, sooner or later, these differences will become apparent. A few examples. When we talk about the Bible, the written Word of God, we use the same word, the Bible, the Scriptures, the Word of God, but in the Catholic understanding of the Word of God, the Bible, the Bible is, is only one piece of a much wider understanding of the Word of God. It is the written record, but the Word of God precedes the Bible according to Catholic teaching. It is something that was there before the Bible was written, and it is something that also exceeds the Bible, because revelation, God's revelation, according to Catholic interpretation, went on even after the canon, the list of books, the inspired uh, books of the Bible were finalized. And uh, there has been an ongoing revelation, and there is an ongoing revelation that is channeled through the official magisterial teaching of the church. So the Bible is part of God's word, but is not the final God's word. And it's not the ultimate authority telling us uh, what God has spoken. So we are using the same word, but as we relate, we use the word, we have to be aware that for us, you know, Protest evangelical Protestants, the Bible is the final authority, the ultimate norm for uh, doctrine and life. But in Catholic understanding, there is a much more fluid understanding of the Bible, a much more dynamic sense of the Word of God coming to us through the Bible as well as through the traditions of the Church 
and ultimately through the official teaching of the church. When we talk about grace, another fundamental uh, word of the Christian vocabulary, we are actually using the same sound. Grace is, uh, we use the same sound, but we mean a very different thing. Uh, grace for us is a gift of God which uh, is given to us and received by faith in order for us to be saved and be assured of the gift of God to us in Christ. It is a gift from beginning to end that assures us of the salvation that Christ has come to accomplish for us. So grace for us gives us a sense of assurance, a sense of security, a sense of that what God has done for us is definitive and ultimate. Once we receive God's grace, we are in His grace, we are in His hands, and we are completely assured of our salvation, not because of us, but because of what Christ has done for us. And the Word of God, through the seal of the Spirit, promises us and assures us of what God has done for us is really for us. So that if we die, we are grounding our hope not on our own strengths, on our own works, but on what God has done for us in Christ. That is what we understand uh, being the meaning of the word grace. In Catholic understanding, the word grace uh, contains an element of uh, relating to the, the gift of God given to us, but also as another layer that is contained in the same word that calls for our participation in the uh, appreciation, in the a reception of that grace. Grace is not in and of itself efficacious if it's not activated through the sacraments of the church and through and by our own participation in our own good works. So that grace, we're talking about grace, but it's not a finalized grace. It is not something that from the beginning to the end is guaranteed by God and achieves what God wants it to accomplish. There is a sense in which we have to receive it, we have to deal with it, and unless we work it out in, our, uh, in doing good works and in receiving uh, different channels of grace through the sacraments, that grace is not sufficient. That explains why most Catholics do not have a sense of assurance as they think about their future. They don't have that assurance because the grace of God, although essential, is not in itself sufficient to give them the assurance of salvation. So we use the same word, but we're meaning different things. We're using the word justification. We're justified from our sins. Christ has been the substitute that has lived a perfect life in order for those who believe in him to be credited with his own righteousness so that his righteousness is passed on to us and our sins were passed on to him. And we are justified, we are counted as righteous in the sight of God the Father. So it is a declaration of God based on the final work of Jesus that effects the righteousness of God on those who believe. 
But in Catholic understanding, justification is not the beginning of the Christian life, and it is not based on a declaration of God, but rather is the end of the Christian life that is characterized by what God does, as well as in combination with what we do, so that we, we hope to be justified. We hope to be good enough to be justified then, in the end, rather than being sure of what God has done for us in Christ, being the ground of our life, not the final hope, uncertain hope. When we talk about the church, we, we mean the assembly of believers constituted by the Holy Spirit around the, the Word of God and living in fellowship, sharing our Christian lives. But for in the Catholic understanding, church is also a very uh, institutionalized understanding and meaning being centered on the top-down, hierarchical, pyramidical structure headed by the absolute uh, chief uh, uh, head, that is the Pope. So, you know, these are examples could be multiplied, but if we rely on common language too much, uh, sooner we will end up in a dead end. So instead of relying on common language, we have to try to uh, frame what we say according to scripture. And we, are, we have a very important and useful tool for our conversations is always to get back to the Bible, is always to open the Bible, is always to allow the Bible to speak for itself allowing the Bible to frame our conversation, allowing the Bible to be the main interpreter of the Bible itself, allowing the Bible to be the source of the meaning of the words that we use, so that we are not actually pitting our understanding over against their understanding. That's a kind of a boxing match. We are actually doing a very, a very different thing. We are placing ourselves under the authority of Scripture, saying we can talk, we can converse, we can uh, discuss things, but it is not that I am right and you are wrong. Let's go to the Scriptures and let's have the Bible above us telling us who is God, what is the faith, how are we saved, what should we believe and how should we live? It is the Bible that defines our language and our lives and our faith. So I have, I have, I have um, um, approaching a, a Catholic friend and helping him and going through a Bible reading, a Bible conversation, a Bible study is always the best way in order to overcome the sense that we are actually uh, clashing different understandings of the faith, the Christian life, and uh, I'm right, you're wrong, I'm wrong, you're right, and who is, who is right then? It is the Word of God that needs to define what we believe and why we believe it. So, and it, it, it has been, it is not always uh, easy uh, in majority Catholic cultures, I'm not sure about your own uh, North American culture, but in majority Catholic uh, cultures, the Bible has always been seen with suspicion. Uh, it has always been seen as a difficult book 
that only the priests can really understand. And as lay people, as simple people, ordinary people, we don't really want to get into uh, the reading of the Bible because it's a difficult book. Now, that, that attitude has been changing over the last 40 years after the Second Vatican Council, but still there are these uh, hindrances in, in majority Catholic culture. And uh, we have to encourage uh, our friends to open their Bibles, to discover the Bible, to allow the Bible to redefine our own ways of living out the Christian life. Can we move on, please? We have to be aware also of other uh, challenges as we uh, talk about the Gospel to our Catholic friends. The Gospel indeed has some sharp edges, sharp edges that uh, makes it the exclusive uh, message of God for the salvation of mankind. Uh, the Catholic understanding of the Gospel is a Catholic understanding. Catholic means universal, embracing, affirming, absorbing, and oftentimes uh, the Catholic understanding of the Gospel has very rounded understanding of the Gospel. So that when we say that if we want to listen the voice of God, we must listen it in the Word of God, written in the words of, of Scripture. It is Scripture alone that is the ultimate authority, the ultimate voice in which we can hear the Word of God. The Catholic understanding would say, yes, the Scriptures are important, but there is also the tradition of the Church, there is also the teaching of the Church, there are also the several uh, traditions of the Church that the Church has developed across the centuries. And if we say, no, it is the Scripture alone that is the ultimate authority, that's a sharp edge that most Catholic friends would find it difficult to embrace. The same is true as far as grace alone. It is by grace alone that we are saved. It is out of the sheer goodness and mercy of God manifested in the life, death, and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ, and enacted by the Holy Spirit. It is by grace alone that we are saved. If we think about our salvation, there is nothing that we have contributed to it. In the Catholic understanding, that sharp edge of grace alone is also difficult to understand. Because there is a sense in which, yes, God does its, his part, but I have to do my part in order for the two parts to be combined and hopefully being effectual and efficacious. So, the, the message of the, the salvation of God being by grace alone is difficult to be accepted because of the sharp edges that are connected to it. And by faith alone, uh, it is grace alone received by the empty end of faith that is an empty end, open end, that receives the gift of God received by grace alone, through faith alone. So we have to believe the promises of God the Father enacted through the work of Christ and received by the Holy Spirit. We receive this work. 
by believing the promises of God, the truth of God, the message of God, and this is what makes grace effectual. But in the Catholic understanding, that is not really sufficient. You have to work out, you know, through the sacramental system of the church, you have to receive the sacraments, you have to go through the processions, you have to go through the devotions, you have to pray to the saints, you have to pray to Mary, you have to do many more things, and faith is not in itself enough to receive the grace of God. So the sharp edges are there, and these are always points of interesting conversation with uh, Catholic friends, because they find it difficult to accept the fact that uh, faith has some sharp edges, biblically defined sharp edges, and instead they want to see them as parts of a bigger whole, parts of something that goes beyond grace alone, faith alone, and then Christ alone. Uh, our, our faith, our biblical faith, is Christ-centered, and it is Christ-based and Christ-centered, in the sense that Christ is our Savior, Christ is our mediator, Christ is the one who is in between God the Father and us as part of humanity, and there is no other apart from Him. He is the only one who can mediate, who can receive our prayers and bring them to the throne of grace. But according to the Catholic understanding, uh, yes, there is uh, that mediation, uh, mediation of Christ, but there are also sub-mediations, and we can approach Christ through Mary, through the saints, and Mary and the saints are uh, people who are closer to us because they, are, they have been fully human, they have, they have been closer to us in the sense of sharing our own human uh, failures, and so they are felt as being nearer mediators than Christ. Christ is too divine, too perfect, too divine, too uh, remote to be approached. And uh, Mary and the saints are nearer mediators. But in this way, of the whole uh, biblical understanding of the mediatorship of Christ is undermined. Christ and Christ alone is the only mediator. And the whole purpose of the incarnation of the Son of God in the person of Christ was that him being fully God and fully man, he can really be the meeting point, the mediator, the connecting point between God the Father and us. He has been fully human in order for us to be free to approach him and he to understand us, whatever we go through. The letter to the Hebrews clearly shows us that he can understand us, whatever circumstance we go through, and there is no limit in his understanding. He doesn't need someone else to explain him what we are going through. He doesn't need someone else to tell him the pains and the troubles that we're going through. He is The point of him becoming fully man is that he is perfectly capable of understanding and receiving our prayers and petitions. So these are challenges and that we will face. In majority Catholic contexts, there is also another area of uh, interesting uh, conversation with Catholic friends. Since religion shapes culture, identity, family, uh, society, 
often, oftentimes, uh, the Christian faith is relegated to something that belongs to the religious understanding of life and the religious practices of life, nothing that really impacts the whole of life. Religion is something that we do on a Sunday or once a month or when we go to a wedding, when we participate in a baptismal service, when we go to a funeral. That's the religious bit of life. But the real life happens outside of religion, happens in work, happens in business, happens in school, happens in leisure. That's real life. Religion is just one bit that once you tick it, you're fine with it. But you don't have to allow that religious bit to be to spill over that section, little section that you allow it to have. Now, the gospel, on the contrary, the, the gospel impacts the whole of life. The gospel is the gospel for the Sunday, for the Monday, for the Tuesday, for the mornings, for the nights, for when we are alone, when we are in community, in family, when we work, when we study. The gospel is for the whole of life. The gospel is not a religion in the sense of being limited to only few practices within uh, the Christian life. The gospel embraces the whole of life and transforms it. And that is also a powerful testimony of the uh, truthfulness of the gospel and the, uh, the practicality of the gospel, the practical aspects of the gospel. So sharing lives is very important, as well as talking about uh, the biblical message, sharing life, showing what it means for us to be impacted by the gospel uh, 24 hours a day. And uh, not showing that we are better or that we are we are we have reached the point of Christian maturity that we all know all the answers. We, we every, every time we know what to do, but sharing also our failures, our question marks, our uh, standing issues we're going through, not presenting ourselves as heroes, as people who have understood it all, but people who struggle, people who are open questions before God. And because they have open questions, they can pray, they can approach God, and they can ask prayers to their fellow Christians, and they, they, they can um, move on in life, in faith. So not presenting us as heroes or as people who have reached to a point of uh, knowing it all and knowing all uh, what it means to be a faithful uh, Christian, but presenting ourselves as journeymen, as people on a journey, saved by grace alone, and through faith alone, trusting in Christ alone, grounding our life on the Bible alone, and living out for the glory of God alone, but journeying on in this life, and not being heroes of the faith, but being humble, feeble, weak people, always in need to uh, be strengthened in the faith going beyond religion, going beyond tradition. Uh, Catholic religion is very much based on a set of uh, traditions that have been inherited from the past. You, you do the prayers, you do the processions, you do the fasting, you do uh, the, the things that you are required to do 
you do this and that. It's full of traditions. And oftentimes, these traditions are barren traditions. They are traditions that are only, they only encounter the outer sphere of our lives, but they don't are really meaningful as far as the deep longings of our lives. So the gospel goes beyond the superficial, uh, the superficiality of life and touches on the heart, touches on the real depths of our lives. So showing how the gospel, you, you see, we, we witness the gospel not only with words, but also the, in the way we live the gospel, we live the words we are using. We're not, we're not mm, witnessing only when we evangelize in the technical sense of the word, proclaiming the word of God, but also as we live it out in all uh, situations of life. And also moving beyond the clergy laity divide, uh, Catholic religion is, is very much divided into two spheres, one belonging to the clergy, these limited class of people who have received the sacrament of order and they are therefore capable of handling with the sacred things of God and the vast majority of lay people who are practically uh, meant to follow the clergy and they're not meant to handle with the sacred things of God for themselves but they have to rely on the mediation of this upper class when we witness the gospel, we have also to witness the liberating power that the gospel itself has in going beyond that extinction and making us all priests, as well as making us all lay people at the same time. This is one of the great recoveries of the Protestant Reformation in the 16th century. We are all priests, said Luther. The distinction between the clergy and the laity is not a, a substantial division. It is a functional division. There are some of us who are called to be pastors and teachers and to be leaders in the church, but they don't belong to a upper class. They are not given these superpowers to handle with the sacred things of God, while the rest of us do not have any responsibility in that. We all have the responsibility to be faithful ministers of the gospel and faithful oikonomoi, faithful stewards of the gospel. And that also a very important, a very important witness that uh, shows the, uh, the greatness of the gospel going beyond human distinctions and human classes and helping us to see that we are responsible to develop our own Christian lives. We are responsible to read the Bible. We are responsible to pray. We are responsible to live in faithfulness and obedience. We don't have to rely on other human beings in order for them to do what we are called to do. They are called to serve the pastors, the ministers, they are called to serve the flock of God. But we don't have to rely on them in the sense that what they do excludes what it is our task to do. If we don't read the Bible, if we don't pray, no matter what the pastor will do, we will be dead in our Christian life. And it's not about going to church once a week that solves the issue. 
if during the week we're not cultivating and not uh, nourishing our Christian life, going beyond that divide is a liberating uh, effect of the gospel. We move on. The gospel also combines personal and church life. Uh, Catholic culture, or majority Catholic cultures, are very much shaped around the sense of the community, the church being the context in which the Christian life uh, happens and takes place. Everything is done in community and there is very little sense of the individual responsibility in uh, being, in, in being uh, yeah, responsible to move on in the Christian life. Now we have to show that uh, these two dimensions of life are not in opposition. We are, we are called to be personally responsible, individually responsible of how we handle with the uh, gospel of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, we will be called by name to respond to it. There is no one, no one else is responding on our behalf. It is us as individual creatures and persons who will respond to the claims of the gospel. But at the same time, the gospel message gives us a sense of community, of belonging to a people, to a family. And the two aspects do not be, do, uh, they, they, don't, they don't have to be polarized or pitted one against the other. So oftentimes we uh, think that uh, as we are um, living out our Christian life as individuals, that is in itself sufficient and enough. And sometimes our Catholic friends see our lives as being shaped by this individualistic mindset. I care for myself, I only see my needs, I only walk you know, through my personal life, I don't care about the church, I don't care about the church ordinances, I don't care about the people of God. What I'm focused on is my personal life alone. We have to show that instead, uh, the gospel, while gives us and calls us to personal responsibility, also gives us a sense of family and community. And the, the church is very important for the Christian life. Actually, it is essential. We are saved by name and as individuals in order to become part of a people. And so, that is very important for our Catholic friends, to see that we're not only individual Christians, isolated islands, and not connected with a body of people around us, with whom we sing, we worship, we serve, we evangelize, we pray. It is very important for our Catholic friends to see the church being in the picture as we evangelize. The Bible stands above us as being the ultimate authority. Christ and Christ alone is our focus as we point our friends to Him in order to receive His salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. The church is the context in which the Christian life takes place. It, we are called by name, we are called as individuals, but always to be part of a family. And in our personal experiences, in evangelism in Rome and in other uh, cities of Italy, inviting people to a service, inviting people to a meeting, inviting people to a meal is as important as 
opening the Bible because they see that there is community around the gospel, there is family around the gospel, there is church around the gospel. And the church has a powerful impact and role in evangelism. So these two dimensions do not need to be pitted against each other, but actually they have to be intertwined in a gospel way so that the individual responsibility is rightly underlined as well as us being part of a large body of people. That speaks very much to our Catholic friends. We move on. Few resources that can be useful in order uh, to practice and to embody that uh, sense of uh, friendly evangelism, friendly relationship with Catholic friends, even through you know, a few, a couple of books that have been helpful to me and I hope will be helpful to you as well. So I'm happy to take a couple of questions if that is okay, Trey, for you, yeah, before we finish. And uh, I'm ready to listen to you. I'm not sure if I can answer your questions, but I will certainly listen to them. Yes. Yeah, uh, that, that's a very heavy question. Uh, <laughs> and uh, that, that issue is not only brought up by Catholic friends, but by... You know, oh, should I repeat the question? When we talk about our Catholic friends, they often uh, bring uh, the issue of predestination and election. And I, my initial uh, feedback was, it is not only the Catholics that do that, but uh, many other people. Uh, yes, there is a sense in which the Catholic understanding of election is open-ended and uh, undefined. And uh, uh, it never involves the fact that God has decreed from eternity uh, who are going to be the elect. But it is understood as a more general um, decision of God to save, ultimately, in the Catholic understanding of salvation, there is a very strong universalist trust, so that the election of God actually involves the whole of humanity, apart, apart from the few individuals who will happen to be in hell. But uh, there is no sense of God choosing from eternity past uh, and individuals, so those who will then believe and will be saved. And uh, I think that it has to do with the, with the uh, lack of appreciation of the, the freedom, the love, the glory, uh, the eternity of God and his, uh, and, and his freedom to decree what uh, he pleases to decree according to his own purposes for his own glory and uh, accepting the fact that what God does, by definition, is good and is true and uh, cannot be uh, simply equated with what we do. Yes, if we choose, if we do uh, some of the things that God does, we missed up, we, 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 we end up with our own little judgments, with our own injustice, injustices, but what God does is always 
according to goodness, according to justice, and according to his glory. So it, I think it has to do, we have to speak into uh, the nature of God, the person of God, and as it is seen in the uh, life of Jesus, who is the ultimate uh, presentation and manifestation of the love, the glory, the righteousness of God. Uh, Jesus is the one who uh, makes it possible for God to accomplish, God the Father to accomplish his saving plan and by calling the elect to respond to his message of salvation so that the Spirit will then uh, draw nearer those who respond to the, uh, the call of the gospel. It's, it's a difficult topic, but um, I guess that it has not only a, a Catholic counterpart, but there is also a humanistic, secular uh, uneasiness towards it. So we have to be uh, aware that it's not only the Catholics that respond uh, negatively, but it's a general culture that is not geared in appreciating the fact that God is God and uh, God is always, does always good things, you know, even when we don't understand them. Yeah. Yes? First point. Mm -hmm. question has to do with uh, the view, the Catholic view of purgatory, that uh, is the view whereby after you die, you have to be purified according to the amount of your sins, and after that purification takes place, you are then admitted to the heavens. And uh, the question also said that uh, even if um, he tried to show what the Bible teaches, that was not enough. Yeah, I, 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 I also have had uh, the same experience. There is no mechanism, there is no automatism in, in spiritual uh, dealings with, with people. Uh, the Bible is important and is actually essential, but it, then we have to pray that the Spirit will convince, will, through the Bible, through the exposure of the Bible, will be then the convincing force uh, reaching out to the heart. So there is no, uh, let me rephrase what I said earlier on in this way. There is, no, uh, there is no better way than approaching our friends with the Bible and taking them to the Bible. But this in and of itself, unless the Holy Spirit speaks to them, will not be enough to convince them of the truth of God. It is the means by which the Spirit will speak, but we are we're not sure that in and of itself will be the convincing uh, action to take. There is no other way to do it, but if we do it, there is no guarantee that uh, it is going to happen if the Spirit is not moving on. And uh, um, 
you know, passages like, uh, you know, the, the Jesus promising uh, the, the person besides him saying, oh, today you will come to, uh, to paradise. I will welcome you to paradise. That's a biblical uh, reference point saying, you know, this man was a wretch, this man was a, a criminal, and yet he has not been told to wait until his soul would be purified in order to be pure enough to be admitted to the heaven because Jesus had promised him his salvation. He had believed in Jesus. And so uh, his salvation was secured by the fact that he had believed in the grace of the, the Savior who was about to die for him. So that's a biblical passage, but uh, I guess it is not enough in itself to convince people who have been taught for decades and centuries of the fact that you have to deserve, you have to be worthy of the salvation. The grace of God is necessary but not sufficient for you. You need to be purified, you need to express your uh, deeds. And uh, I guess you know, this is my answer. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. The question had to do with the Bible, the view, Catholic view of the Bible uh, being the Word of God, but not being the final Word of God. And therefore, if we read the Bible with our Catholic friends, there must be, uh, there could be a case when they say, yes, this is what the Bible says, but because this is not the final Word of God, the priest is the one who speaks to me the final Word of God. This is, this is exactly true. And, uh, but having said that, there is a high respect of the Bible. And so uh, before uh, dismissing uh, the, the use of the Bible, and uh, we have to at least allow the people to have expo an exposure to the Bible, because oftentimes this, is not, this doesn't happen in Catholic uh, circles. That the Bible is not really read or is always often heard, you know, with the selection of texts that are read during the Mass, and uh, but not really grasped, not really read, not really um, received. And so we have to uh, give them the opportunity at least to be exposed to the Scripture. Knowing that it will not be in and of itself the, the winning uh, tool uh, for us to penetrate into their hearts. There's going to be the Spirit who will convince them of the truthfulness of the Word of God and the fact that the Church stands uh, below the Word of God, under the Word of God, and that the Church needs to be obedient to the Word rather than being uh, higher or above the Word of the Lord. Okay, the last one. Last Like the word righteous, the righteousness of Christ, 
when you talk about God takes our sin needed his righteousness. Yes. My parents just completely blank on that word. Yeah. How do you address that? Because I feel like they want something sure. to make them acceptable. But righteous is a very Protestant word yeah. that Catholics don't use. It is, uh, the question has to do with the meaning of righteousness. It is exactly one other... Because he's done a great job sharing the gospel, but yeah. that part doesn't... <laughs> that it's another example of on how we can have, use the same word, but having right. a very different meaning attached uh, to it. And uh, there is a, a problem in, in the Catholic understanding of the word righteousness as meaning uh, judicial, forensic. Righteousness that has to do with our own status. Right. With, with, with who we are in front of God. Righteousness in Catholic understanding has to do with what we do. Right. And we're only righteous right after confession. Yeah, that's right. What <laughs> we do. And in part, I, that has to do even with the Latin version of the, the word of the Bible, mm -hmm. justificare, that's the translation of Jerome, of the biblical word for righteousness, justificare. And if you, if you are familiar with Latin, Fare, ficare means to do, to do in order to be righteous. It is intrinsic in the word justification in the Latin to, to convey the meaning that you have to do something in order to be righteous. The biblical word of righteousness instead gives the idea that God declares us righteous on the basis of what Christ has done for us. So again, if we go back to the Bible, we have to at least a way to help our friends to see things from a different angle, not our angle, but from the Bible's angle. Right. And this is not going to solve all the problems, no. but at least gives us an opening to move forward in our conversation. Thank you very much, Leonardo. Thanks for taking questions also.